Hi, everybody. Good morning. So good to see a full house today. My name is Grace, and I'm a grad student at UMass. Um, and today our reading is going to be from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. So if you have a phone or a Bible, you can open those up, or you can just listen. Again, Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children in anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Join with me as we pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power forever. And God, as we um, listen to the teaching of your word today, I pray that you would incline our hearts to the word, the living word, Jesus Christ, not towards prideful gain or selfish ambition or mustering up the will to be better people, but that you would incline us towards Jesus Christ draw us close to the cross. Would you open our eyes to the wonderful truths in your word? Would you unite our hearts to fear your name? Would you satisfy us with your love this morning? I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. morning. Welcome to Mercy House. I'm uh, Robert, lead pastor here. Really glad that you're here. Uh, We've been doing this Generation Next uh, sermon series, which has been sort of a greatest hits list uh, of the next generation kind of passages that are both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And one of my hopes is that this will really impress upon you the need, the priority to invest in the next generation, both biological children, but also spiritual children that are uh, being made uh, disciples uh, in, this, in this church, in this ministry. And honestly, the American church is not doing a very good job at this. A large percentage of kids that grow up in the church uh, are, are not continuing in their devotion to Christ. Um, and just in general, younger generations right now, the millennials are born between 1980 and 2000. Uh, Gen Zers born between 2000 and 2020. Both of those generations, at least so far, are, are seemingly the least reached generations in American history. So a lot of people in the church are scratching their heads and saying, what do we do? What do we do? And thankfully the Word of God gives us the answers to that. And we've been looking at some of those passages that I think are critical for this conversation of what it takes to invest in the next generation. We've, we've talked about Genesis 1 and 2, which really lays the foundation Uh, for family and for marriage. Uh, We've talked about Deuteronomy 6, which was a very important passage for uh, the Old Testament people of God and and certainly to us as well. And then uh, Psalm 
127 and Psalm 128, uh, which are critical psalms for understanding family and child-rearing and uh, Proverbs 1. So all those were different sermons that have already happened. So if you haven't listened to those, I'd encourage you to go back because it really does form kind of a, a unified whole uh, of a biblical understanding of investing in the next uh, generation. And the New Testament does have some teaching about uh, child-rearing. Uh, it's not a lot, though. And I would say that is probably because New Testament writers are expecting us to bring forward a lot of the Old Testament teaching on child-rearing and just bring it into uh, New Testament uh, Christian life. And I think this passage even would back me up on that because this is exactly what Paul is doing. He's pulling forward uh, some things from the Old Testament and then he's commenting on those in a a gospel-centered way. So, sermon today is simple. How to be a child how to be a parent. That's what's in this passage. How to be a child and how to be a parent. Secondarily, it's definitely how to be a disciple and how to be a disciple maker. There's truths that are in this passage for uh, those two things as well. I won't talk as much about that. I'll talk more about child rearing today, but it's definitely something that informs uh, discipleship as well. This passage in Ephesians 6 is a part of the book of Ephesians that's oftentimes called the household code. And you see this in some of Paul's other letters where he starts with telling you what the gospel is. And the Ephesians 1 and 2 is really how sinners become saints by the grace of the gospel. And then he moves to talking about the church, how these sinners who become saints can be a new community in the world. And so this is like chapters uh, 3 and some of 4. And then the rest of the book, 4, 5, and 6, is how do you live a holy life in this unholy world? And part of the the, the teaching in this section of how to live a holy life in an unholy world is how you live at home. And it's really important to God how disciples live at home. And so the end of uh, chapter 5 is all about husbands and wives. That's part of the household code. And then in 6, he moves into relationship between parents and children. God cares about this kind of stuff, about marriage and family and child-rearing. And it makes sense because family life is not the only, but can be one of the most profound theaters for the glory of God and His gospel. I mean, what better platform to display His glory than a bunch of sinners in close proximity trying to live daily life out for years. And they can't leave. And he just puts them in this little theater and gives them gospel grace to display his glory and the glory of the good news. There are many struggles in family life. There's sickness and sin and fatigue and discouragement and conflict. But there's also many holy moments, moments of teamwork, fun, and a front row seat to see the gospel work itself out in the nitty-gritty of lives. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about gospel fluency, understanding how do I live daily life by the grace of the gospel. The family life is, is such a perfect place to work those kinds of things out. I've never experienced more pressure and stress than in the context of raising children. 
My marriage has never experienced more pressure and stress than in the context of child-rearing. And that's saying something. When we were in Oklahoma, I was working a 50-hour-a-week ministry job. I was full-time school, between job and school and study, about 80 hours a week, right? It was a lot of pressure. When we came here, it was a lot of pressure. Uh, trying to plan a church with a bunch of college students and no money, that's a lot of pressure. That does, that, that pressure those pressures don't even, they, they don't even begin to compare to the pressures of child rearing. But what is also true is that Melanie and I have experienced some of the deepest joys in the context of child rearing. God in His grace has given us a house full of, of fruitful vines and olive shoots that have now been sent out into the world to be fruitful vines and olive shoots in their adult lives. Any Christian married couple who has seen the conversion, the Christian conversion of their kids and now experience Christian fellowship with their adult children will all tell you the same thing. There is nothing better. There is nothing that the world offers that even begins to compare to children who have come to faith in Jesus and are now in adult fellowship with their parents. And it is by God's grace. That will be the other thing that the parents will tell you. It's not that they did it right and now their kids are Christians. They can point to many things that they did wrong and that by God's grace, these children have come to faith in Jesus and are now in fellowship with their parents. That said, God uses His viceroys, His representative rulers in the home to bring the gospel to these children. And this is in part what Paul is describing is how these parents serve as God's representative rulers in the home to bring the gospel to their children. So let's take a look at this passage. Uh, this first passage, uh, Ephesians 6, verses 1 and 2, is how to be a child and secondarily a disciple. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So, Paul is quoting the fifth commandment. So he's pulling forward Old Testament teaching about child rearing. He's pulling it into New Testament, New Covenant life. And this fifth commandment is, is a kind of a pivot point in the commandments. The first four are kind of vertical commandments. Worship only God. Don't worship images. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath day. It's all kind of like Godward kind of things. And then at, at commandment five, it shifts to more horizontal relationships with other human beings. And you can find this list of commandments in two places in the Bible. You can find it in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. So here they are side by side. Uh, 20 verse 12 says, Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Okay, so he's quoting that. But then 40 years later, Moses is preaching his last sermon to Israel, 40 years after that giving of the law at Sinai. 
And here's how he says it in Deuteronomy 5. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord God has commanded you so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And so you can see the bolded part is the part that Moses adds to Exodus 20. So he gives us a little, little more, like a, he's, he's like preaching the commandment uh, in Deuteronomy 5. And it makes sense, like this, this would be a, an important commandment. This, this is so foundational. The parent and the child is that relationship so foundational for human beings. It's how we get here, right? But more than that, it's how you learn how to be a human being. You learn that in your family, or you should learn that in your family. It's the place where you first learn how to interact with authority. It, that's in your, your family. And, and it's where you're supposed to be learning not only how to interact with human authority, but the ultimate authority, God, in your family. Notice again that note, uh, Moses adds in Deuteronomy 5 that the Lord your God has commanded you. He's letting them know that this command for children to honor their parents is coming straight from the ultimate authority, which is God. There's a punchline from an old joke about parenting that goes something like this. I brought you into this world and I can take you out. That may be funny, that may not be funny, but it's not true. God brings people into this world and God takes them out. He is the ultimate authority over all people. But he does use his viceroys, his representative rulers to extend his rule and reign in different settings. And parents are the ones that do that in the family. Now Paul adds a word to even what Moses says in Deuteronomy 5 to this conversation about parents and, and children. And that word is obey. He says, children, obey your parents. It doesn't say that in the, uh, in, in the commandment. Now, if you're honoring your parents, you're going to obey them. <laughs> I mean, you, you should be obeying them if, they're, if you're honoring them. Um, and, and, but that Paul just throws this in there. In case we're confused, children, that somehow you can honor your parents without obeying your parents. You can't. You, you need to obey your parents. But notice that this word honor is, is very important because it's one thing to obey them, right? Do what they say. But it's a whole other thing to, to honor them. It's not less than obedience, but it is more than obedience. To, to express to your parents that they have worth, they have weight, they are worthy of your respect. This is partly what's getting uh, communicated here in this word honor. Sometimes when we would be asking our kids to do something, we didn't just want them to do the thing. We would say, we want you to do this with a happy heart. Do that with a happy heart. Not stomping, not, not, not eye-rolling, not gritting your teeth with a happy heart. Or we would say, uh, please do this without complaint and without delay. Right? We were working on honor. We were training them to honor us, not just obey us, but honor us. Why were we doing that? Because it's in the Scriptures. <laughs> children are to honor and obey their children. And it wasn't just a you know, try harder to honor and obey, but yes, I know you don't have a happy heart. Let's ask the Lord to forgive us for being so angry and bitter and help us to have a happy heart as we're obeying mommy and daddy. So it was a, a gospel-centered kind of a, of a conversation 
But, it, but, but, but I, I say those things to help you understand the honor and the obey is this like package uh, deal. And kids need to learn that because they need to honor and obey the authorities that they're going to interact with as an adult. They're going to need to honor and obey their teacher. They're going to need to honor and obey their boss. They're going to need to honor and obey their government. They're going to need to honor and obey their church leadership. Where are they going to learn that? They're going to learn that in their house. Or they're not going to learn it in their house. And then they're going to take that dishonor and that disobedience to those other authorities, and it's going to be disastrous. Now, we don't honor and obey uh, authorities when they're asking us to dishonor or disobey God. And this is the one footnote about honoring and obeying authorities. When they ask us to dishonor or disobey God, we don't honor and obey authorities. Or we don't obey authorities, I should say. Um, we still honor them. Um, and th this is what you see in civil disobedience. You continue to honor the authority while you're disobeying them. This is what you see in the civil rights movement, led by Martin Luther King, who, who was a, a Christian, a pastor. He, where did he get this idea of civilly disobeying? Honoring the authority, but disobeying the authority. He got it from Scripture. He got it from this kind of concept of, of honor and obey. So when, when the authority asks us to do something against God, to dishonor God or disobey God, of course we're not going to obey. You see the disciples when they're told not to preach the gospel. Do they say, oh yes, we will not preach the gospel? No, they go preach the gospel. But when they're taken into custody, they don't fight back. They don't, they don't try to, you know, get some swords and, and attack the Roman soldiers. They just let them take them into custody. And they tell the magistrate about the gospel. And they let them throw them in prison. They tell the people in prison about the gospel. Like they don't obey. But they also continue to honor the authority that's over them. Now, authorities honestly are rarely asking us to dishonor or disobey God. It does happen, but it's rare. And so in most situations, we may not like what they're asking us to do, but we're not having to uh, disobey the authorities. And in general, coming under authority is going to cause your life to go well with you, right? This is what he says. He says, Honor, honor and obey your parents, children, and it will go well with you, and you will live a long life on the earth. Right? Benefits are flowing down from the good authority to the children. Mom and Daddy, they know some things. They know better than four-year-olds. You know, sometimes four-year-olds just don't understand this, but, but they really do, and benefits flow down to the parents. Some of your parents are laughing and, and looking at each other, and it's really it's funny um, because you know what I'm talking about. Now, where, again, where do you learn this God-centered kind of perspective on authority? You learn it in your home. You learn it in your home. Again, here Paul's teaching children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And so he's saying, obey your parents in the Lord. You see how that's a God-centered teaching. He's telling these kids, look to God as the ultimate authority. Who is expressing his authority through your parents? And so not only is it in the Lord, but it's right, right? Both there's a relate, right, relationship kind of component to his command here, and there's also this uh, rule component. This is a right rule, and it comes from a good God in the Lord, and it is 
right. And again, it's in the Big Ten. Right? Like this, this command is in the Big Ten. It's number five. This is important to God that children learn to honor and obey. Now, this kind of talk is uh, uncomfortable for many. This idea that parents have authority and it's backed up by the authority of God. Um, as modern hearers, we, we've been affected by um, books and uh, teachings and workshops and all kinds of ideologies around child rearing that has really started to seep in to the church really since the 1950s, 1950. Um, a guy by the name of Dr. Spock, not uh, the Star Trek Dr. Spock, but uh, uh, another Dr. Spock who uh, went to Phillips Andover in Andover, Massachusetts, and uh, went to Yale and got a Ph.D. And the gist of his parenting philosophy as he wrote book after book after book was baby knows best. Baby knows best. Not mommy knows best. Not, not father knows best. Baby knows best. What, whatever baby wants, baby gets. And, and so th this guy also is a humanist. No concept of a, of a God who is good and loving and an authority, but, but merely that we're just human beings trying to figure this stuff out and kind of going with the flow of what feels like common sense, like his baby book on, or a book on child rearing, the common sense book of baby and child care. And not all that he said was unhelpful. There was some things about child rearing in those days, uh, probably on the harsh side, and so he was... He's reacting against some of those things, and so that was helpful uh, to really encourage uh, families to be more relational with their children. I'll talk about that here in, in a minute. Um, but it was not biblical, and so this has been seeping in to our culture, to the church, and ha has really dismantled any kind of a biblical concept for child rearing uh, on so many levels. And so what we want to, to, to go back to and renew our minds with is, is what the Scripture teaches about the rearing of children. The Bible teaches us that if we don't teach our children to honor and obey their parents, we are hurting them. In fact, we are hating them. Look at, look at Proverbs 13, 24. Uh, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Now, it's not my purpose to really dive down into the whole spanking issue, although I preached a sermon where I spent a lot of time on it, and I can send it to you, and you can listen to it. Um, but what I want you to see is the insistence on the obedience of the child, and that if you do not insist on the obedience of the child, you hate your child. You are hurting your child. Now, notice I've shifted from the necessity of children obeying to the necessity of parents making sure their children obey. Because I don't know if you notice, children just don't naturally obey. That laugh was from the parents. Um, children don't naturally obey. Children are foolish. Children are sinners. Again, not something our culture would, would, would like to hear, but it's what Scripture teaches. Look at Proverbs twenty-two fifteen: Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Now, the single people in the room are going, oh, no, no, not those cute little cherubs, no. But the parents in the room, most of them are going, hmm, yeah, yeah, folly is pretty deep in the heart of the child. You don't have to teach 
children folly. Um, some of you may be saying, well, yes, yeah, certain kids, certain children, uh, they're strong-willed and they need extra discipline. Um, and so certainly there are these kind of, you know, strong-willed children, the rebel child who it just seems like at every turn they're, they're just uh, going against the parent over and over and over again. But the folly is bound up in the parent-pleasing child as well. Because what happens is the parent-pleasing child is secretive. The parent-pleasing child lies to keep the facade of being the perfect child. I'm telling you, that's worse than the rebel child. When you got the rebel child, you know where you stand. You know what's going on in, the, in that heart of that kid because it's like, ah, coming out of their mouth. But the parent-pleasing child, you're not always sure. What's going on? And then when it does come to the surface, usually it's been festering for quite some time. Speaking from experience, I'm not going to tell any embarrassing stories. Other than I was that kid that was the parent pleaser. And I had a whole inner life of, 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 of attitudes and thoughts and things that were going on in me. My parents had no idea. And on the outside, I was like... The perfect kid, you know, I, I was making good grades and playing sports and going to church. And man, I mean, inside, I was like what Jesus says to the Pharisees, I was full of dead men's bones. And so even if it's a, a people, you know, parent-pleasing child or a rebel child, I don't care what child it is, the folly is bound up in their heart. They, can't, they come on the scene as sinners. And they need parents to help represent God well to him as his Viceroys. Um, again, many in our culture are uncomfortable with this kind of talk around uh, parenting. You think I'm advocating some kind of abuse? You, you've been so spockified in the way that you think about child rearing, you can't even conceive of what the scripture uh, is teaching you. I bumped up against this early on when we came to this valley. We had lived here only a few weeks, and I was in collective copies downtown Amherst, and I was getting some copies made for something we were doing with church. And I had Corey with me, and he was about four years old at the time. And we had just had a Saturday morning special breakfast with whipped cream and syrup and chocolate chips. I mean, this kid was flying high. He had plenty of sugar coursing through his veins. And we walk in the collective copies, and there's a candy machine that you can put a quarter in and get a whole bunch of candy. And he sees that, and he's like, Dad, 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 I want to get a candy, I want to get candy, I want to get candy. I was like, ah, no, I, I, I don't think you should get candy. We've just had special pancakes, you know, let's not get candy. It's going to make our tummies hurt. Please, let's not do that. And I'm just, you know, trying to be kind, keep my cool. And so Corey is not, he's not receiving that. He is screaming, I want some candy, you know, and he's just going at it. And so I'm just like, I'm staying calm. I'm, I'm like, no, we're not going to get candy. And I'm, I'm, I'm sticking to my guns there. And I'm, I'm standing there, you know, standing, standing firm. And then this older lady comes over and she's like, why don't you let him pick up a few pieces of paper and then you could give him a quarter as a, as a reward and he could get a candy? And I was like, no, he's had so much sugar already today. More sugar is going to hurt him. It's going to make him sick. So the best thing for... And I'm, I'm, why am I explaining myself to this lady? Right? I, and I'm just like giving her my whole apologetic for how I'm doing this parenting. Because parents are walking around worried that they're doing it wrong. right? And so someone's judging me and I'm like trying to explain myself. She wouldn't have it. She just doubled down on me. She was just like, no, no. And, and I finally, I was like, look, I'm going to parent my child. 
and I know this is the best thing for him. And then I just turned and finished up the transaction while he just screamed his head off, right? And then we just walked out, right? And, and it was just such a, a wake-up call for me in regards to the ideas around parenting here, right? It is definitely a child-centered approach to parenting. And, and this, is, this is not what we see in the Scripture. We see stu- uh, parents insisting that children honor and obey. Now, in the first century, the misunderstandings about parent, parenting had swung the other way. It was too harsh. Fathers in the Roman Empire could beat their children to death and not have any legal repercussions. There was no DHS that was going to show up at their door and say, you shouldn't have done that, now you're going to go to jail. They could beat them to death. Paul knows that. He understands his context. I think it's partly why he gives this caveat of verse 4 after he says children need to honor and obey their parents. So look at verse 4 which will get into how parents are to parent children. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So you see Paul there, he's aware of his context. He's aware that first century fathers are brutal and harsh. He's not interested in just giving some kind of rubber stamp to a cultural norm. He's also not willing to to throw the baby of authority out with the bathwater of brutality, right? He he is going to stand fast on the gospel, and he's going to show what gospel-transformed parenting looks like. And it's a rebuke to the harshness of first century, and it's a rebuke to the permissiveness of 2021. But both of, of us are rebuked by this passage and instructed so, the instruction to parents, what parents should not do and what parents should do. What they should not do is provoke their children to anger, is how the ESV translates this uh, Greek word. And uh, it's also translated like NIV, exasperated. And the word really has this kind of two facets to it of, of anger and exasperation. That's why the ESV is saying provoke to anger. So, it's not just ordinary anger, your kid's going to get angry at you. I mean, if you have children, you know when you, you tell them no, they don't like it, they get angry. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about provoking them to anger through being dismissive or disrespectful or overly harsh or being unfair. That's the kind of behavior that a parent would uh, display that would be a provocation to anger. It's an exasperation, right? Exasperation, probably a better word there to translate. Uh, It's a little more nuanced. It's all that same stuff, but the the child is pushed to a place of despair, of hopelessness. They've been angered unfairly so many times that they no longer care about the repercussions that they're going to experience from the parent. And they either uh, just rage back or they just become numb and they just kind of go with the flow. Um, at that, that point, the parent really has no influence in the child's life. So what's the point? I mean, if you've just doubled down on them and they're exasperated, what have you accomplished? You might feel better in like 15 se- for 15 seconds, but then the child is not being shepherded. The child is not being discipled. Exasperation usually occurs when there is 
parenting that is overly harsh with little or no relationship. It's overly harsh with little or no relationship. Josh McDowell is a conference speaker and a, an author. He uh, used this little phrase that was so helpful to me. He said, rules without relationship lead to rebellion. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. That's a little nugget there. You should take that with you and tuck it away. Just telling kids what to do and then ignoring them is not going to produce the fruit of a child who honors and obeys you and who will honor and obey God. This, the, the rules without relationship in every, every case is going to uh, cause rebellion. Some of you have some negative feelings about your parents because that's what they did to you. They were all rules and no relationship. And you're walking through your adult life wondering, why am I so numb to my parents? Why don't I want to call them? Why don't I want to have a relationship with them? Rules without relationship. Or no rules, no relationship <laughs> in some of your cases. It was just kind of, kind of a benign neglect. They put a roof over your head and that was it. And you have, you have this numbness in your own soul towards your parents because of the way that they, they raised you without this healthy balance of rules and relationships. So look at how Paul des describes this application of rules and relationship. He says, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now different translations translate the Greek here in different ways. ESV says discipline and instruction. NIV says training and instruction. Uh, King James Version, nurture and admonition. Uh, that word instruction or admonition uh, is a word nuthesia and uh, a whole like uh, school of counseling called nuthetic counseling is based on this word, this idea of admonition. And so it's not just instruction. It's the instruction toward training the child to do something. There's an urgency to it. There's a, a, a practicality uh, to it. The Amplified Version tries to get at all these nuances that are there in the Greek, and I think this is helpful. Uh, this is how it reads. Fathers, do not irritate and provoke your children to anger. Do not exasperate them to resentment, but rear them tenderly in the training and discipline and the counsel and admission, admonition of the Lord. So you just see like all these facets that are there in the Greek language that the Amplified Bible is trying to help us to see. I think it's communicating at least three different things that are really important for good parenting. One is parental authority is highly relational. Parental authority, according to Scripture, is highly relational. It's a shepherding kind of authority. There's genuine love for the child. There's a willingness for the authority to sacrifice on behalf of of the child. This is never more true than, than when you're trying to parent a child. You sacrifice so much for your children, your sleep, your money, your time, your energy, absolutely every resource in your body and in your bank account is leveraged for your kids. Amen, parents? Okay, maybe not. I, don't. I mean, think of mothers. They, they have to use their body to carry the child for nine months. That's just the beginning. Then they're feeding the child with their body and leveraging body and bank account and everything else to raise them. 
But none of that sacrifice will make much of any difference if it's not done in the context of relationship. You can sacrifice all day long. But it's not highly relational. It, it's not going to produce the kind of fruit that you want to see in your kids. We tucked our kids in every night when they were in the house, even when they were teenagers. We'd go in before they were going to go to bed. We'd chat a little bit about the day. We'd hug them, kiss them, tell them we love them, pray, pray for them. And I just remember doing that and feeling the scruff on one of my son's face and just going, this is crazy. <laughs> but so good, so good to, to love them and relate with them. It's highly relational, biblical authority. Number two, parent, parental authority includes admonition. Admonition. I'm using this word uh, from the King James. I think it's a helpful Word, word. Children don't know anything. They don't know anything. They don't know how to go to the bathroom. They don't know how to wipe themselves. I mean, come on, right? They don't even know that. They don't know how to eat correctly. They don't know how to bathe. They don't know how to brush their teeth. They don't know how to tie their shoes. They don't know how to close the door. They don't know how to wash their dish. They don't know how to clean up their spills. They don't know how to pick up their room. I mean, they, they don't know anything. Everything has to be taught. They have to be trained. And that includes their understanding of God and what it means to follow Jesus. They don't know that either. And they need training, not just in how to wipe and brush and sleep and do their math. They need to learn from their parents how to follow Jesus. It's incredibly important and necessary. Part of the spockification of parenting has caused some Christian parents to feel like, I don't want to be too pushy. I'm just going to let them figure it out. I don't, I don't want to push Jesus on them. And many of those parents are fearing that they're going to become one of those parents. That those parents that force their kids to go to church and now their kids hate church and hate God and hate their parents, and so their response to that is, I'm just going to let them figure it out, right? Not, not the right response, not the right response. In, in fact, most of those families, not all, but, but a lot of those families where, where kids were made to be a part of church and experience uh, church life and now have rejected it, they hate it, they hate God, those oftentimes are rules without relationship kinds of families, and religious families can be exactly that. They can be all about the rules and not about the relationship. And it's toxic. And it does make, make you hate church. It doesn't make you hate God. And it, and it shouldn't happen. Right? But again, you don't want to throw the bathwater of brutality out with the baby. Right? Look, look at Ephesians 6. Look at how Paul is holding these things together of a highly relational experience with your children. But making sure that you admonish them, you instruct them. Remember back in Deuteronomy 6 when we looked at this passage, you shall teach them diligently uh, to your children, talking about the commands of God, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. 
Does that sound like just let them figure it out? No, it doesn't. It, it, it is depicting a, a parents that are highly involved in admonishing their children, not just in how to brush their teeth and do their algebra, but in understanding who God is and what His ways are like. So not only is it highly relational, it includes uh, instruction or admonition, but it also includes discipline. Parental authority includes discipline. Uh, if you've noticed, you can relate well with your kid, you can instruct your kid, and the kid still doesn't do what they're told. This happens. I know it's hard to believe, but it does happen. And the biblical recipe for good parenting is relating well and instructing, and then when they don't follow the instructions, you discipline them. And then you relate well, and you keep instructing, and when they don't follow the instructions, you discipline them. And you do that about 10,000 times, and then, voila, you get an adult child who's balanced and human and, you know, loves Jesus. Uh, you think I'm kidding. So this is what's being depicted here in Ephesians 6. Now, this is one of the arguments for spanking, is that it's a kind of discipline that is a moving toward the child, not away from the child. So when you uh, relate with them well, you instruct them, and then they, miss, you know, they, they don't follow the instruction, and you say, go to your room! Get away from me! Right? And stay in there for two hours and think about what you did. That's not really how God disciplines us. When we're in need of discipline, God moves in. He moves closer. <laughs> he gets more involved. And like I said, I, I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail. It would take me about 30 minutes to talk about spanking in a, a whole good way. Um, and I can, send you, I can send you a sermon that will help explain that. But it is a moving forward. It re, re, reinforces the relationship. And any good discipline, no matter what it is, it's going to reinforce the relationship. It's not going to, you know, shun your child and tell them, get away from me until you get your act together and then you can come back. That's not how God deals with us. He moves in. He moves forward. He reinforces the relationship. And, and, and this idea of highly relational and instruction and discipline, it is a template for understanding the gospel. This is the message of the gospel. The gospel is truth. It's instruction. But it also convicts us. It disciplines us. It, it, it shows us that we're sinners and that, that we're hopeless without intervention from God. And then that we can have a relationship with God by grace. Not by being a good little girl and a little, good little boy and then God's like, okay, come over and relate. No, it's not like that. It's relationship. It's instruction. It's discipline. This is the gospel. Not some sort of work salvation where you clean up your act and come to God. It's, it's much like parenting. And it gives us a template of the gospel. Look at how First Peter talks about the gospel. This is so interesting to me. Verse, 1 Peter 2.24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. You see, as he depicts the gospel, he, just, he depicts gospel grace. But he depicts it as shaping the person in such a way that they return back up underneath the authority of God. He is now again their shepherd, their overseer. 
This is what you're doing when you're, you're parenting children. You're, you're, you're leaning in relationally and, and with instruction and with discipline such that they come back under the shepherd and the overseer. First you, but first and foremost, God himself. This is the gospel. This is the gospel and the response to the gospel. It is a, a parental template that we give our kids that they then can use to understand the gospel. That's what I'm talking about. When I say you're a viceroy and, and your relationships with your children are, are helping them to understand the gospel and respond to God in faith. I uh, had some, some time to work with a young man uh, who was really pressing in to understand the gospel. He, he came to understand it, professed that he was a Christian wanting to follow Jesus, really growing, really doing well, and then he just made a 180. He's just like, actually, no, I'm not going to follow Jesus. And so I'm having a conversation with him, and he's saying, I don't want to follow Jesus anymore. I want to go down this life of sin, and it's a pretty serious life of sin. It's not just some little stuff. It's some serious stuff. And I say, are you telling me you don't believe Jesus? You don't believe who he is? You don't believe what he's done for you? He's like, oh, no, no, I do believe I believe that it's true, but I just don't want to do it. I'm just going to walk away. And so as he's telling me this, I'm like, what do you say to this? Right? And here's what I said. I said, well, I want you to know that Jesus is going to discipline you. And it is going to be painful, but it's going to be out of love. And I want to encourage you when he does, turn back to him. Come back under his shepherding, under his oversight, because he is going to discipline you. And in part, I said that because he understands the gospel. He actually believes that it is true. And it is a serious thing to have been given eyes to see the gospel glory and then walk away from it and do your own thing. And what he said to me, he's like, well, that's just something that a loving God would never do. A loving God would never inflict any kind of pain on anyone. He couldn't be farther from the truth. He couldn't be farther from the truth. But he doesn't have a template. He doesn't have a family template to even hear what I was telling him, which was absolute truth from Scripture, because he didn't have the template. We want our kids to have the template. Now, does that mean 100% they're all going to become Christians? No. We know that that's a, a miracle. When a kid becomes a Christian, an adult becomes a Christian, I don't care if they've grown up in the church or they've grown up an atheist. It's a miracle. But again, God uses Viceroys. He uses his representative rulers to commend the gospel to kids. This is plan A. There are plan Bs, but this is plan A. Is that the gospel will be commended to young people in their home, in their church as they grow up. And man, when they hit adulthood, they're locked and loaded. Man, they're ready to go serve the nations and be so much more fruitful than I was who became a Christian, you know, into high school, beginning of college. To have that kind of input all their days and then ready to then serve Christ in some really amazing ways. So how do you respond to this? A uh, lot, lot of ways. Here's a few. Um, some of you are in, you're, you're sensing the instruction, the discipline, and the relationship of God through Christ this morning, maybe for the first time. You thought maybe you know, Christian religion was just kind of a a little self-help, a little therapy, make me feel better. But you're finding out, no, it's more serious than that. That there is a God in heaven, and he's moving towards you with truth and with discipline and with relationship 
And He's calling you to repent. He's calling you to come toward Him because of the grace given to you at the cross and to come under Him as your shepherd, as the overseer of your souls. Do that today. Do that today. Some of you have been rebel children. You know who you are. Repent. Hear hear the instruction and the discipline and the relationship of your Father. Repent. Come home. Come home to Him. Some of you, you are the, the parent pleaser. You've been trying to please God and make, you know, do all the rules right, and you've never felt like accepted by God. Stop doing that. Repent from all that parent pleasing, all that God pleasing. Don't, don't, don't try to save yourself by being good little boys and good little girls. You cannot save yourself in that way. Turn away from the sin of that rebellion, though it be in secret, though it be cloaked in all kinds of niceness. Repent from that. Come back to your Father. He is here instructing you. He's disciplining you through His Word. He's relating with you through the grace of the Gospel. And all of us need this every week, do we not? Those of us who are children of the Father through our faith in the Son, by the power of the Spirit, we also need to be instructed and disciplined every week. It's part of what's happening when you're hearing preaching of the Word, right? Paul says to Timothy, all scriptures God breathed, it's useful for teaching, rebuking, and training, or correcting and training. He's describing parenting and he's talking about pastoral ministry. This is partly what's happening in, in the preaching of the word. It's also happening in the giving and then taking in a discipleship group, a small group, and organic relationships in the church. We're experiencing instruction and discipline and relationship from God through his viceroys as we make disciples of all nations. And so, again, some of us are rebel children. We need to come back to God. Some of us are parent pleasers. We need to come back to God. And thirdly, maybe some parents in the room, you're feeling convicted, hopefully not condemned, hopefully not despairing, because you're hearing this you know, lecture uh, from the Bible on parenting about rules and relationship and the balance, and you're just like, I'm, I'm, I'm failing. <laughs> and every parent feels like that pretty much all the time. So, you, you, you know, you're not unique in that way. It's so hard. And we are dealing with our own sin as we're dealing with the sins of our kids. So difficult. But I, I just I want to encourage you. His grace is enough. Rely on His grace to save you and then to continue to transform you as a parent to be able in the, the, the right way to instruct and discipline and relate with those kids. I know it's so easy to swing from one way to the other where you're just so permissive and then they drive you crazy and then you swing to being too harsh. I feel like that, that, that was sort of my mode oftentimes. It was like, oh, it's no big deal. Oh, it's no big deal. Oh, it's no big deal. It's a big deal. I'm going crazy. Neither of those helpful. So you need the gospel to transform you out of that kind of parenting. And, and it is more than sufficient to transform you from that. And fourthly, just thinking through that all of us have parents. We're, we're, we're children of parents. Some of us have been really disrespectful and dishonoring to our parents. And it may be that you need to go to your parents or write your parents a letter and ask them to forgive you. Even if they haven't been the best parents. You're an adult now. 
So take care of yourself. Do, do what you know is right. It might start to uh, change and transform your relationship with your parents. It might. Not for sure. But just, just to, to deal with that. If you've been dishonoring, disobedient to your parents, and, but, but do it in a gospel way. right? You don't need to feel condemned by this. You need, to be, you need to feel convicted by the Spirit in regard to this. You need to confess this to God. If it seems appropriate, to confess it to your parents. And then keep moving on. Keep moving ahead. But you may be held, carrying that weight of sin that you've never confessed, you've never acknowledged as an adult child. Last thing I'll, I'll say is, as adult children, some of you are being directed by your parents to do things that are against God. And so now you're a disciple of Jesus, you're making decisions according to Scripture, you're, you're trying to, to follow Christ and His Word, and your parents are saying, don't do that. Right? You're saying, I'm giving generously to this ministry, don't do that. Put it all in a big fat retirement account. And you're having to say, no, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to give generously because that's what Jesus wants me to do. That's okay to do. Do it in an honoring way. You, you never dishonor your parents, but as an adult, there are situations where you do disobey them. And so when they're asking you to do something that, that you know, this is not the direction that I want to live my life in accordance with Scripture and in obedience to Christ, you say no. You disobey. I mean, you can see Scriptures uh, of Jesus telling uh, people that, you know, you can say no to your family. In fact, he goes so far as to say, you, you, you must hate your family if you're going to follow me, which... It's a provocative way to say Christ is the ultimate authority, not your family. So continue to honor them, but don't feel like you're on the hook to obey them as an adult child. We're reminded of these concepts when we come to this table. When you think about a, a table in the ancient Near East, it represented relationship. You didn't sit down with anyone at a table unless you accepted them, they were in relationship with you. This is partly what Jesus is communicating to all of us when he says, come to, to the, the Lord's Supper table, is that it's relationship. God is highly relational. He's also instructive. On that night that Jesus was betrayed, the night before his death, he took bread, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That's teaching. He's teaching them about the cross. It's going to be the very next day. He's using visual aids to do that. He's instructing them. But he's also disciplining them. In the same way, he took the cup. After he blessed it, he gave it to them, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for many. There'll be a whole bunch of more people that are going to join this family. For many. Why is that, Jesus? For the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. He lets them know he's going to be dying on the bloody cross the next day, in part because of their sins. And he looks them in the eye that night, highly relational, highly instructive, but also convicting them that it is their sin that needs to be dealt with by the bloody death of the divine Son of God. This is how the Father... The, the, the most unique way, the, the most powerful way, the, mo the clearest way that the Father has moved toward us is in His Son, the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus on the cross. Receive that 
today. Receive that. Repent in response to that. Draw near to God in response to that. Grow in the nurture of that, the instruction, the discipline of that. As we experience this gospel, both preached in the bread and cup and as we sing it here in a few minutes. Let's pray. You are a good, good father. You are neither a permissive parent or a harsh parent, but an absolutely loving parent who moves toward us with truth and with discipline and with relationship. And so, Lord, we're grateful for that. We pray that our hearts would be set free as your children this morning, as we're reminded of your character and who you are and what you've done at the cross but also, God, that you would transform us so that we could be good authorities in the lives of those you've placed under our care. Whether we're parents or small group leaders or have a team at work that we oversee or lead in the church or whatever the case may be, God, help us to be good authorities because you have been a good authority to us. But also help us to be good children. Help us to be good children under your care under your authority, your instruction, God. Help us to submit to authority in the places where you've put us under authority. And God, help us to do that well by God, by your grace, by the gospel, uh, such that we can honor and obey uh, and then give us the courage to honor and disobey whenever those kinds of situations come up. But we want it to be for your glory, God, and we believe that it is for our good, that it is going to go well for us if not in this life, in the life to come, because of the authority that we are under, you, Father, the, the shepherd, the overseer of our souls. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.